Green Street Radio is a production of Grassroots Environmental Education. Learn more about us and our programs at www.grassrootsinfo.org or follow us on Facebook at Grassroots Info and on Twitter at Grassroots E-N-V-E-D. Welcome to Green Street, a project of Grassroots Environmental Education. I'm your host, Doug Wood, here with my co-host, Patty. Over the past three decades, the developed world, that is the world with primarily a Western diet and Western lifestyle, has become increasingly overweight, and scientists have puzzled over the reasons. Is it simply a matter of eating too much, not exercising enough, or could there be something else going on? What if we are being programmed from birth to be fatter than we should be? It sounds bizarre, but consider this. Research scientists working on environmental chemicals happened to notice that their lab animals were getting fatter. Was there a connection? A new documentary film explores that hypothesis, and on this edition of Green Street, we talk with the director and co-writer of that film, Programmed to be Fat, Mr. Bruce Mohan. Bruce is a science journalist who has produced, directed, hosted, and written hundreds of hours of television. His most recent award is a gold medal from the New York Festival for The Downside of High, named Best Health and Medicine Documentary. Here's our interview with Bruce Mohan. So I want to ask you how you got involved producing this film. What inspired you? How did you find out about it? Well, it wasn't a matter of inspiration. It rarely is in the television business. You look for stories that might be of interest to the public, but most important, might be of interest to whatever network you've got the ears of. And uh, we had a co-producer looking through magazine articles and various things, and, and I would I look all the time as well. But she had spotted this story, I think it was Newsweek, about uh, obesogens and the work that Bruce Blumberg was doing at the University of California. And so we submitted it to uh, a show called The Nature of Things in, in Canada. It's a... Mm. Uh, it's a long-running show. Yes, it it's been is. Around a, for, a well-known show. Yeah, I think even in the States they know it. It's been yes, around for we about do. 60 mm-hmm. years. We, we and know it's hosted it. by David Suzuki. Yeah. Now, we, we suggested it to them, and, and, and the, the, the head of the documentary unit, they pointed out to us, wasn't interested in stories about uh, fat people, but they <laughs> pitched it to him anyway, and he said, oh, no, this is different. <laughs> this yeah, is unusual. Yeah, yeah. You know? This <laughs> is and different. And, of course, whenever we mention it to anyone, they say, I've never heard of that. Well, you mentioned the word uh, that I think a lot of people have never heard before, obesogens. Mm-hmm. which, uh, you, you know, certainly caught, caught my ear, and I'm sure a lot of other people. Can you define what an obesogen is? An obesogen is any endocrine-disrupting chemical that uh, can make a lab animal or presumably a human fatter than they should be. Um, it's, it's certainly not going to be the only cause of someone being obese or overweight, but it seems to be ca- these, these chemicals seem to be capable of contributing being a contributing factor to obesity. So uh, how, do they, how do they act in the body to, to do that? What is it that they're doing? Well, they're fooling certain receptors, uh, receptors that decide um, how we develop. Uh, in in um, every, every human being de- de- develops over time and, and, and uh, through evolution in different societies and different conditions. And so they, they have a certain... Um, a set point um, that we might talk about later um, that's established that that burns fuel at about the right rate for the kind of world they live in. Um, and what can happen is that these hormone mimics, which is what they are, can 
trick these receptors into telling a gene or, or uh, to make us a little fatter than we should be. This is the same pattern that um, that these chemicals use to, to trick the body to do other things. I mean, we've been talking about endocrine disruption here on Green Street for for, for years. Yeah, right? and, I, and and I was going to say you when I when I saw the film, I saw some you know some familiar people. <laughs> I guess <laughs> some, you would. Some yeah, yeah, especially Fred Vomsal. But yes. I mean, there are other people too that that I knew who who have been working on endocrine disruption and. They had they not previously, you know, thought about this whole idea. I mean, they've been working on breast cancer and precocious puberty, and mm-hmm. you know, different um, different types of cancers that you know that are hormonally driven and so on. Yep. But had I had never heard any of them talk about well, these well, endocrine were, disruptors as obesogens. No, they were looking into serious things, developmental issues, cancers, as you sure. say, uh-huh. um, a lot, and, and they weren't thinking, oh well. Would these chemicals possibly be making us slightly fatter than we should be? They were concerned about whether these chemicals would make us skinnier, with less weight, because that's yeah. a, a, that's a kind of toxic reaction. That's a that's a condition. That's a problem. Sure, low birth weight is is, is an yeah. indicator. So of... they were watching for that kind of thing in papers through the '90s and even earlier than that. But some of them were, in fact, getting a weight gain, and they weren't really reporting it, or at least it would appear in the paper. But they say, well, we didn't get what we expected, which was a toxic kind of condition. What we got is a little bit of weight gain anyway, but it wasn't until a a British doctor um, noted this, and she spent two or three years researching all these papers. She was trying to figure out why she couldn't lose weight after the birth of her second child, and she went through all these papers, and she spotted all these mentions of of weight gain, and she thought, well, wait a minute, (laughs) this is... There's something here. So she wrote up a paper, and right after having written this paper, she came out with two best-selling books. So she was trying to kind of jump in the gun on the science. But the scientists in the States looked at the paper, and they said, oh, well, this might explain why we're getting the fat mice. Well, but uh, let me and let me just um, clarify this for our, for our listeners, though. This woman had trouble losing weight after she gave birth. Now, that's kind of a common thing because a lot of women gain you know, probably more weight than they should when they're when they're pregnant, of and course, then very they common, have then yeah. they have trouble losing that. But that's actually not what she was researching. It wasn't the it wasn't the fact of gaining weight after you know after having a baby or or having or having difficulty losing weight after you've had a baby. But it was really about you know this whole idea of chemicals actually kind of you know predisposing you or exposure to these chemicals predisposing you to be become overweight. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yep, more or less. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's actually talk about these. Um, what this what this woman found and where she found this 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 um, you know this idea of obesogens. Well, as I say, she went through the literature on uh, studies on environmental chemicals, which she wasn't all that aware of. She was a graduate of Oxford. She got her medical doctor degree. Um, but she wasn't a research scientist, and she uh, ended up marrying um, the laird for a calendar Scotland. <laughs> so she kind of <laughs> moved into Scottish royalty. Uh-huh. They have a beautiful house, which you can see in the documentary. Yes. People right. say, yeah. wow, what kind yeah. of house is that? Nobody lives in a house. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> it's I, like a castle. Yeah, we did notice that. Pretty nice house. <laughs> it's hard to miss. Yeah. And we didn't talk about it because it wasn't part of the issue. Sure. sure. But... Uh, yeah, this, she had her second child. This is her story. The story she tells to everyone uh-huh. is, well, I couldn't figure out why I, I, could, I, I couldn't lose weight, so I started going through these papers because I discovered, 
some, I'm not sure exactly where she discovered it, uh, that, that environmental chemicals have many effects on us. What if it's possible that they're actually, and her background was metabolism, so she, she understood some of that. I mm-hmm. see. She thought, what if they are affecting our metabolism? And that's what she was searching for, and that's what she found. And as I say, she wasn't a research scientist, and it was published in, uh, in uh, Alternative and, and Complementary Medicine, which mm-hmm. is not something that research scientists take too seriously these days. But they looked at this, and they said, hey, you know, this is what we're finding. So was it her article, <clears throat> excuse me, was it her article that, that was seen by some of the other people in your film, and they said, aha, this is a really that, yeah, interesting yeah, idea? Yeah, some of them who had been working on endocrine, endocrine disruption for, for other reasons, and then, you know, they, you know, I mean, in the film, some of them say, well, yeah, you know, I mean, our lab rats were, you know, we're getting really fat, we didn't really understand, or the mice, you know, that we were, that we were working with. Um, so maybe maybe there's uh, maybe there's something to this. Yeah, well, that's Reetha what happened, ne- huh? Reetha Newbolt was working on DES, uh-huh. and uh, she'd been working on it for many many years. She's one of the world's leading experts on it, I think. And uh, and her lab people came to her one day and said, Reetha, you've got to buy some larger cages because your mice are outgrowing the cages. <laughs> <laughs> and, Wait a minute, what's going on? So that yeah. led to her. What, what, she had that issue, and she was wondering why, but she w- wasn't wondering too much until she spotted the article by Bailey Hamilton and thought, oh, well, maybe I should get on to this. So she established some uh, some studies to find out why that was happening. And at the same time, Bruce Blumberg on the West Coast was discovering that uh, that uh, tributyltin, 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 tributyltin right. a uh-huh. pesticide, was turning uh, reproductive cells into fat cells. So he launched, once he saw the article, he thought, yeah, this, this makes some sense. Maybe I should dig into this a little more thoroughly. And he launched some mouse studies as well. And just using tributyltin? He stuck with tributyltin. Okay. It's, it's a control thing for him. It does, he doesn't get into the politics of BPA. Right. Even though they've banned tributyltin, it's out there still. It's, uh, I mean, it's still in the hulls of ships, and it's still sure. in the water in places. Right. Um, and then you, and then Fred Vomsal, who is who is who's really leading expert on on BPA, also got involved in this. Yeah, it was around ninety eight or ninety nine. Mm-hmm. He did a small paper, I think, for Nature, saying my mice are getting fat. <laughs> in, you know, keeping it short and simple. But yeah. he he was obviously he's been working with bisphenol A for over twenty years now looking at reproductive issues, cancer, and all the possible uh, effects it might have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then he spotted this one, so he, he jumped on board as well. One of the most interesting things I think that the film talks about and, and does a great job explaining is this, this notion that <clears throat> a smaller dose uh, can actually trigger a response in the body that a larger dose won't trigger. And it's such an important concept. I wonder if you could just talk about that a, a little bit. Sure. Well, that's the crux of the issue. That's what it all turns on. Because obviously, industry and, and government have very strict guidelines uh, that chemicals have to pass before they're allowed you know, to be used. Um, as, you know, and BPA had to pass a lot of tests, and they had to they, they do the LD50 test. Right, know. I was just going to say, the LD50 is kind of a, a standard. Do you just explain, yeah. explain what the LD50 is for our audience? Well, um, you give a bunch of rats some, your chemical that you want to test, and you determine, for instance, initially that, oh, they all died with that dose. Well, let's try half that dose or a fraction of that dose, 
and see how many die. And you get down to a point where only half of the lab animals die, and you call that the LD50. But you keep working down until you find the dose that doesn't kill any of your lab animals. Mm -hmm. You say, okay, we know that these lab animals can survive uh, and don't seem to have any side effects or anything negative happening to them at this level. Now we'll put in the safety factor, which with BPA is, is a thousand times, and we'll reduce it again. And then we'll say, okay, this has absolutely got to be safe for people because even a thousand times larger amount didn't kill, didn't affect our lab rats. So it's a it's a top down approach, starting it with a top down approach, starting with the right. LD fifty, and then and then continually, you know, making a smaller and smaller dose. Right, right? until you get to the no observable effect level. That's right. Yeah, and that's no L. And for, and with yeah, yeah no L. And and, and with uh, BPA, it's fifty parts per billion. Mm-hmm. Is the is the actual safe dose for humans, which mm-hmm. they're allowed to uh, see in products. Now, what Vomsal and others were doing is they were testing um, two parts per billion, which is the amount that's found in the average North American on any given day. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is where the non-monotonic dose response play, <laughs> which is a, quite a mouthful, and we didn't use it in the documentary, but. It's, it's, it's a bit of magic that the industry people don't, um, they're saying, look, you're getting an effect at two parts per billion, billion that we don't see at, at 50,000 parts per billion. Well, here's how it's explained by both Blumberg and Vomsal to me. They said, um, these hormones in small amounts can enter the body and, and the receptors spot them and the receptors say, hey, there's our hormones. But they aren't. They're 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 the, the they're imposters. They're the imposters. And they welcome them in, mm-hmm. and then the effect starts happening. Um, but then more and more hormones come through, and at a certain point, um, there's so many hormones affecting so many receptors that another gene on the DNA molecule comes into play and says, wait, this is wrong. This shouldn't be happening. We're going to shut down the whole process. I see. So the body's defense mechanism sees, when it sees enough of these uh, imposters coming in, it needs to see a certain number of them to be able to say, wait a minute, we have a problem. Yeah. And yeah, it's, obvi- it's a very I subtle see. effect, and yeah. the body works on, at very subtle levels. And it's saying, if this isn't subtle, if this isn't small, it's not one of our signals, then something's going wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, some people have said to me, well, we can solve all this by giving people more BPA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gee, that's a great solution. Yeah. But we're finding that their actual harm can be done at this, uh, uh, you know, to the, to the body at these very, very low levels. Well, my story was only on obesity, but they have found that at those levels, at two parts per billion, you can make a lab animal fatter than they should be. You feed that to the mother and the offspring will all be heavier than the control mice. Wow. And they've done it many, many times. Mm. You're, listening to Gre- sorry, you're listening to Green Street on WBAI, and we're talking with Bruce Mohan, who's the director and co-writer of a new documentary film called Program to be Fat, which we were able to uh, see the other night. So thank you, Bruce, for sending it to us. It's really fantastic. Is the, is the film officially released now, and can people get it? Well, it's, uh, it, it's on the CBC website but unfortunately there is a that border between us and you uh, they've restricted it to canadian viewers um our company is selling to individuals i think it's uh, thirty dollars in the states to buy a dvd of the show um and uh cbc learning 
makes it available to groups who want to show it. And you can go through them. It's actually just the website's called CBC Learning. CB We're hoping to find a distributor in the States fairly shortly. Yeah. For those uh, Green Street regular listeners who know our, our GreenStreetRadio.com website, I did put a link up on the Today's uh, Show page uh, to the documentary film so that you can, uh, you can actually go through. You know, I, I should add that it's somewhat unfortunate. The, the television climate of the day, um, there's very, very few, few uh, networks or series on the continent that will carry something like this. There is no market for serious science programming. Even is, Nova would be unlikely to take this in the states. Is it um, is that because it, there's no opportunity for the the other side to uh, to present their views? No, no. It's just because they're catering to the lowest common denominator. Virtually every network um, wants reality shows, series, um, comedies. Uh, there's there's just no science. The only science shows are very very light and fluffy. Um, Serious science shows that deal with complex science uh, have pretty well disappeared. You'll have occasionally find episodes on Frontline and, and some of your good documentary series there, but Nature of Things is pretty well the last hour-long science um, uh, show on the continent, uh, except for Nova, and uh, we don't think we'll be able to get this past Nova. They're also looking at lightweight fare more often. That's that's really. Well, it's, it's it's such it's, a shame to hear that because I think it's I think, tragic actually. You know, I mean, I think that you know, I mean, we we try to do that on our show. We have an hour every other week here on WBAI, and we try to bring to our listeners this kind of programming where we are really talking about important issues and you know Im issues that are based on, like you say, complex science. You know, um, and well, we so have, we're fortunately we have, a, we have a smart audience who, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who really, you know, they told well, this niche know, audience. It's, yeah, it's, it's a big yeah. wide it's audience great. that they can't seem to get these things passed. Yeah, yeah. Well, well anyway, we're delighted keep to have trying, you. Keep trying, Bruce. We, keep we you know, about we, this. we want to see it on the air. I want to talk. You mentioned before the set point, and I think this is a really important concept. I wonder if you'd tell us a little bit about what the set point is and how it affects people. Well, the set point is actually set to a certain extent in the womb, in the fetus. Um, the, the fetus is, is given certain directions through its endocrine system that it's going to be a certain kind of body, a certain kind of being. And uh, so that set point for their weight is established then. And um, I don't know an awful lot about it, but it seems as though uh, up to puberty that can be tweaked it could be tweaked by things like environmental, or sorry, endocrine-disrupting chemicals. Um, once you hit puberty and get past that, it's unlikely that your set point is going to change. And the set point is how many fat cells do you have? How fat or how skinny are you going to be? What number do you need? Um, fat cells, I mean, there's two ways of being fat. One is having a lot of fat cells. The other one is having fat cells that are filled up um, larger. Uh, so you can have the regular number of fat cells, but they all can be quite fat, each cell. Or you can have far more fat cells um, than the average person. And right now they're not exactly sure how that difference is, when that difference is, is decided and how to determine who's in what camp. Uh, Vom Saul's got had some interesting things to say to me the very last time I talked to him, but you know what, I can't, I can't remember exactly how it worked. It was, a, it was some studies showing that I believe that the effect of BPA was doing both to uh, to children under puberty and to fetuses that it was it was 
Making more fat cells. It was making more fat cells. And making and the, making fat, the cells fat cells bigger. Yep. Wow. Okay. I, I, but then, I, I, and then I'm, I'm, I'm curious about this. And you say that you can, you can constantly increase the number of fat cells, even after puberty, but you no, can once, never decrease them. No. Once you hit puberty, you're not going to increase them, but you're not going to de- decrease them. They don't decrease, apparently. They don't decrease, but they don't increase either. I mean, the way Blumberg put it to, to me is it seems that they don't disappear. Once you've got a certain number of fat cells, that number of fat cells is going to stay with you. You can, you can fill them up less or more, but you can't get rid of them. And you fill them up less or more by eating more calories or, or fewer calories. Well, cert- yes, you certainly can. And, and I mean, that's an important thing to say to listeners, as the scientists are very concerned about, is still a big part of the obesity epidemic is obviously eating too much and exercising too little. It's just that there seemed to them, they, they, they felt that there must have been something else going on, not just that, because people were exercising, they were dieting for 20 years. They've been trying to do something about it, and not much has happened. And not being successful. So they successful. thought, what else is going on here? So what we've got now is, uh, is and I assume that this goes through, uh, you know, this is hereditary, goes through generational, uh, uh, you know, generational generations, so that we have now... Women who are pregnant, whose babies are, as you say, programmed to be fat. I mean, yep. I, I mean, it's 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 predetermined, and and yep. there's not a lot they can do. Is there? There's really not a lot they can do about that, right? No, there's not a heck of a lot people can do. But we do have warnings for pregnant mothers because it's most likely that the effect is strongest in the womb. So, I mean, as far as BPA goes. I mean, there's, a, there's at least 20 chemicals that they're looking at as potential obesogens. In fact, Blumberg added two more to the list this year. He's coming out with a paper shortly on a new one that's on that's a common uh, product in packaging materials. Well, um, yeah, but, yeah but we, were, we were left with, with, with that. We were left with that, that, that question because we watched the, the, the film again because I said, Blumberg said that, or Blumberg said that, you know, that, that he was coming out with another obesogen or thinking about another obesogen that he could add to the list, and it had to do with, with food packaging. And I'm like, okay, is it phthalates? I guess he wasn't quite is ready it, to, yeah. to announce it. Well, is that right? They know about phthalates. Phthalates is on the list. He wasn't, yeah. you know, he hadn't published yet. Okay. So he was reluctant to let it out when, I we, see. when we went to press. Okay, but like. what is it? And I asked him again about uh, two or three weeks ago, and he said, the paper's going to come out in a few days. <laughs> but I've been busy on other projects since then, and I, I should have, I actually thought about calling him just about 15 minutes ago to see, <laughs> see if he could tell me finally. But you can call him. Okay. Yeah, no, maybe absolutely. We, maybe, maybe we will. will. Um, very interesting. Um, wow. Okay, so now let's get into into the politics of, of this a little bit. Okay, obesity we all recognize is a is a huge public health problem, not just in the United States but also in Canada and other Western countries. But you have socialized medicine in Canada, so is yeah, the con- I've never heard of socialized medicine. I, I, I we don't call it that, of course. We just call it healthcare. Healthcare. Okay. <laughs> like well, you have education that's free. We have education that's free. We have health care that's free. Right. You pay for your health care. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But you know, you, you know what I meant, um, that, 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 you're, that the government pays for your, for your health care. Yeah, we, um, it's like a big insurance thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so is the Canadian health community at all interested in the research that your film has explored? Because well, I'm sure they are. Uh, because they know, regulate chemicals, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, they're quite interested in the area. 
right now, and I can't tell you why, there are no labs outside of Allison Holloway's lab at McMaster who are specifically looking at um, potential environmental disrupting chemicals and obesity. Her folk, I mean, all of these people study diabetes in the same breath because diabetes and obesity go together. Right. And, uh, and basically you're looking at the metabolic syndrome here and how it's being affected by these chemicals. Mm-hmm. So she's working at that in that at McMaster University in Ontario. I don't know of anybody else who's actually doing these studies. Um, the Americans are doing the lion's share, and Europe has got the Obelix project. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you where we are on the, uh, you know, on the continuum of of of, of research. Uh, this idea of obesogens originated back just around the turn of the century. Is that right? Roughly, yeah. The term actually wasn't placed on them until 2005, but uh, a lot of these studies were triggered in the late 90s. So given your experience in, uh, in, in the health research field, where do you think we are? Are we halfway there? Are we a quarter of the way? Have we not even scratched the surface? What's your, what's your gut instinct on this? Uh, what- I think halfway there would be fair to say. Um, I'm not the best person to ask, but I would I would say that they're at a point where they've done enough research and have had enough tests on lab animals and um, in vitro tests uh, and some results back just beginning to come back on epidemiological testing with large populations that they have enough evidence that something is going on um, that they feel that act- some kind of action can be taken. And what, of course, they're recommending is the is applying the precautionary principle um, and, and saying, if we don't need these chemicals, if we can find replacements for the chemicals, we should get those replacements because, you know, there's too, min- too much evidence right now that something's going on. But they haven't proven it. It takes a long time. It, the tests are very difficult. They're very subtle, very complex. And there's a great deal of discussion around who's done the best test, whether the test is valid, you know, so many. For instance, how do you know that the mouse or rat ingested the two parts per billion of, of say, BPA in their water? Or did it, you know, did, did some effect leave it lying somewhere in the cage? You know, did, did those two parts not get into the rat? Yeah. Little yeah, things like that. Yeah. Um, I would think that if the Canadian government is paying the health costs of, of um, you know, obesity, which would include diabetes and maybe high blood pressure and heart disease and, you know, goes on and on and on, um, the, you know, the, the health conditions associated with obesity, that they would be in a, in, a, in a very good position to, you know, to start regulating these chemicals. Well, you know that they did declare um, BPA a toxic substance after having uh, banned it from baby bottles a year or so before that. Mm-hmm. So they were the first ones on the planet to do that, and European constituencies are beginning to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. But you have to remember that um, as far as launching studies up here in Canada, um, science is a collaborative international effort. Um, every country has their own specialties has their own particular brainiacs in certain areas. And so it doesn't benefit anyone to have every, you know, every country attempting to resolve every problem. So they divvy all that stuff out. Right, I understand that. But I, I, I'm talking about, um, you know, the Canadians actually taking this precautionary principle seriously and saying, okay, there's an indication of harm. 
Um, and so, you know, we can take some simple, you know, some simple measures to, you know, to reduce exposures to this list of uh, how many? 20 that you already roughly. have? Yep. Roughly 20, um, you know, chemicals that would be considered obesogens. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these would be fairly, I would think, you know, fairly, um, you know, simple things to do, especially if you also know that that you know that this kind of um thing you know starts in the womb it has this fetal you know origin and that you know all during childhood you know you have the opportunity to you know to work on this set point you know you can tweak it up or down and so you know so taking precautions by eliminating these kinds of chemicals just like you said not allowing bpa in baby bottles um how about these other 20 chemicals? What are these 20 chemicals? Can you list them for our, That's for funny our audience? I was just scanning down my script because I had it here somewhere. Uh, here it is. PFOAs, um, which are, I'm sure okay. you've talked about before. PFOAs, these are um, perfluorinated octano, octanoic acid. They are, you know, you? Um, fluorinated, um, <laughs> perfluorinated compounds. We've found uh, in things like Teflon and the lining of, you know, microwave popcorn bags and... I just so threw out my old Teflon pan. Good for you, Bruce. Good. We're going to give you a medal. Okay. P okay. PFOAs, what's next? Um, lead, phthalates, DES, which has been banned, mm -hmm. nicotine, which is what Allison Holloway is studying, mm. right. ributyl tin, PBDEs, PCBs, bisphenols, organophosphates, MSG, benzopyrene, mm. dioxins, DDT, and my favorite, polybrominated diphenyl ethers. Diphenyl ethers. PBDEs, but flame retardants. Genistine is in here as well, and, and that's a product in, in Soy. soybeans. Yeah. Which we feed to children. Yes. In the form of soy milk. Correct. That was going to be something in the script, but we pulled it out. Mm. Uh, we were getting, it was getting too complex, and we only had 43 minutes. <clears throat> Have you had any, uh, any contact with uh, or any pushback or any communication at all from the chemical industry in, uh, in response well, to your film? I, I spent a lot of time trying to get somebody from the chemical industry, somebody involved in the testing who knows the regulations and knows the science very well, to talk to us about you know, their take on things and what they know and what they do. Uh, so we did have a different opinion from Vomsal and Blumberg and had a different voice. But I wanted somebody who really knew the science, mm -hmm. and it was right there. I mean, and, and Vomsal and, and Blumberg recommended a number of people to me, but they didn't want to go on the record. And I chased it down for a long time, uh, trying to avoid having to talk to, oh, what's it called, the chemistry something of... The American Chemistry Council. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Because I knew that they were lobbyists and apologists. Sure. And I knew I wouldn't, you know, there was no point in getting into this argument. As a journalist, you go after the people who know the subject best. Sure. And those are the scientists. Right. There's no point in getting the lobby groups involved. Yeah. Yeah. But I wanted somebody from the what might be called the other side, the industrial chemists mm -hmm. and scientists, who were saying, we can't see these effects. We're, we're do, trying to do these rat studies and most studies with two parts per billion, but we're not getting the effect. And it, it, there's a large argument there about exactly how to do the studies, uh, the fact that the endocrinologists feel they can do them better, they're specialists, and so on. They've been doing them for a long time. And when industry tried it, they couldn't get the same effect, they say they couldn't get the same effect. Mm -hmm. So it's, it was not a, an argument that was worth putting in the documentary because the vast majority of the top scientists in this field were getting the effect. And the fact is, 
these people didn't want to talk to us on camera. So, so you know, if that happens, you have to wonder, well, okay. <laughs> so you're saying that the end, it, because it's, it, it's interesting when, when industry says, well, we can't replicate these studies, the endocrinologists themselves can replicate it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. They, in the different countries, the academics, and they yeah. didn't have any money involved. They, they were, yeah. you know, whereas, whereas industry, there's billions of dollars involved. Sure, so it's not particularly surprising that the, any of the studies done, and Blumberg has pointed this out a number of times, as has Vom Saul, any of the studies done that didn't get an effect were all funded by industry. How about that? Gee, that's that's surprising. <laughs> <laughs> that happens all the time. It does. Yeah. It happens oh, all the dear. time. Oh dear! Oh well. You know, I'm 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 curious. I want to go back to what Patty was talking about before because it seems to me when you look at the price, the cost of obesity. Did you do any any research when you were putting the film together about what obesity actually costs us in terms of GDP, or either in Canada or in the United States? I mean, it's got to be an enormous number when you look at the healthcare implications and you know and and other implications across society. Um, I'm sure there is a number. I don't know what it is. I'm sure somebody's done the research. We didn't include it in the documentary. I mean, it's one of those numbers that, you know, no one in particular benefits. Uh, it's a good number for uh, social democracy. You know, those kind of numbers work in that environment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the cost of diabetes alone has got to be astronomical in mm -hmm. terms of what... Well, what's well, that figure we did have in there, that, that 20 years ago there were 50 million people on the planet with diabetes. Now there's 250 million. Right. This, that, was a, that, was a, that was a really startling statistic. Yeah. Uh, so could you repeat that again? Uh, 50 million people, and let me confirm this because um, it's just that over which time period, I'm not entirely sure. I think it was 20 years ago there were about 50 million people with diabetes. And now there and are... And now I, I know it's gone up to 250 million. Here this it is. is. Hang on a sec. Yes, it was 20 years ago. Oh, actually, it was 30 million people 20 years ago, and now it's 250 million. 30 million 25 years ago. 20. 20 years ago, 20 yeah. 20 so years that's, ago. That's not that long ago. No, it's not that long ago. Wow, that's an enormous increase. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and, you know, and... The, and Dare I say the proliferation of chemicals pretty much mirrors that same, you know, that same, yeah, well, you know, it's been the past 20 years when, that we've seen a tremendous proliferation of, of certainly BPA in, you know, yes, in certain in, chemicals. In exactly. the, yeah, the graph, the graph goes up in many, many different graphs. I mean, all sorts of things have changed over 20 years, so it's hard to make a cause and effect that way. Right. And that's uh, something that actually Paula Bailey Hamilton tried to do in her paper. She said, look at this ramp of, of obesity going up and look at the, the graph of, of chemicals going up. They're similar. Well, you can you can say, well, look, there's a graph of uh, all sorts of things going up. Sure. You don't necessarily make the link. Yeah. Right. And 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 as you stated before, quite you know quite early on in our conversation here, um, that this is just probably one factor. Um, that obviously there are other factors which are you know lack of exercise. We lead a much more sedentary lifestyle than we did. Well, I'm not sure 25 years ago, but certainly 100 years ago. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, and that we're eating foods that, you know, are, you know, that have higher caloric content. Um, and we're eating more of them. Yep. Um, so, you know, when you put all of these factors together, plus this, um, you know, plus this tendency because of this, um, this chemical change, really, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, um, it's another way to explain this obesity epidemic. Yeah, and, and 
um, what the scientists are saying is, if this is true, that these uh, obesogens are doing this to our bodies, and you know science, they never prove anything ultimately, but it's looking more That's and right. more true every day. Right. If this is true, then what it means is not that you just give up dieting and exercise and say, oh, forget it, it's, uh, you know, it's hopeless because of these chemicals. Right. What it means is you have to diet that much more and exercise that much more to get to where you want to be. Right. It just makes it that much harder for us to lose weight. Wow. Oh. That's good news. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to lose weight. I got a, I got a belly on me. I'm 20 pounds overweight, so I've just I signed up for the, our Masters National Competition in Swimming, and I'm, I'm back in the pool working hard, and I've been working hard for two weeks, and I haven't lost a pound. <laughs> you haven't lost one oh, pound? Oh, man. Have you Not st- yet. That's aye, discouraging. Aye, aye. I noticed in your film you had Jerry Heindel uh, in there, who's from the U.S. National Institute for Environmental Health Studies. NIEHS, which is a great organization, which we really depend on here in the United States. Um, He seemed a little non, I won't say noncommittal, but, you know, he was very, seemed very conservative and, you know, was kind of holding back from making any determinations. Is NIEHS at all involved in this? Are they going to conduct any any studies? Do you know of anything that's going on there? Uh, Jerry's very involved. He's very committed. It may be just his nature. He told me before the interview He said, you know, I can stand up in front of a group of 2,000 people and speak perfectly well, but put a camera in front of me and I clam up. Um, He was still still pretty good. He did well. He he was very good, yeah. Yeah. He's he's the one dishing out the uh, research money from NIEHS, and he's the one that's traveling around the world giving talks with a PowerPoint presentation on obesogens. So he's very much behind the drive to find out what's happening. Well, that's really good. Um, do, did, you, did you approach um, Linda Birnbaum by any chance? I didn't talk to Linda Birnbaum. I know she's involved as well. She's the head of NIEHS, isn't she? That's, yes, she is. Yeah. Uh-huh. And she's, she's Jerry's boss. Jerry is Reetha's boss. Okay. <laughs> Reetha's retired now. Okay, because, um, because I know that Linda, I mean, her, her real focus has been endocrine disruptors. And so she, you know, is probably, um, you know, uh, very also very interested in this. I'm sure she knows about yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I know she is. She's part of this, uh, the, the whole research package mm-hmm. at NIHS for mm-hmm. finding out what's going on and where the money's going. So, what's next, Bruce? With you, what what's we, your next film? Um, we've got. I've got three things. Um, one is thorium as a nuclear fuel. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I've pitched it. Um, thorium, when you were talking about the uh, Japanese uh, right, nuclear the Fukushima, reactor, uh-huh. if it was powered by thorium, there wouldn't have been a chain reaction, and there wouldn't have been any problem at all. It would have, been shut, it would have just shut itself down. Mm-hmm. Thorium is cheaper than uranium. It's much more common on, on the planet. Its half-life is much, much shorter than uranium. So it's safer. It doesn't have a, 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 it doesn't have a chain reaction. Um, but... There are very few thorium. There's only one. It's actually a can-do, which is a Canadian product in India that's now using some thorium fuel. But the Americans, you folks, um, decided back in the 50s and 60s. Now, wait a minute. That only uranium would do. <laughs> would, uranium would do because, mm-hmm. now this is part of the story, um, nuclear submarines needed uranium reactors uh, as well a reactor run with thorium does not produce plutonium as a side as a product mm-hmm. a byproduct they needed the plutonium for the bombs ah. so they developed uranium reactors and said no to thorium hmm. 
It's a very interesting story. Um, the environmental groups are still saying no to nuclear power, and I think you folks do too. Mm-hmm. Um, but with thorium as the fuel, you don't have the problems that we have with uranium. But you, do are, it, you still have some problems. I mean, thorium is a radioactive substance. Yeah, it is. Yes. But given, given that we're in, on the, in the process of killing the planet with coal and fossil fuels, way better to move to something like that then basically say, well, that's it for civilization, which are my other stories. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to take the lesser of evils. Well, that's it for civilization. That's your next film. We can't I'm doing, wait. I'm pitching also a, a project called The Last Consumers, and it's based on Richard Heinberg's book, The End of Growth. Mm-hmm. But I'm quite active up here with environmental groups, and I'm trying to get the con- this country to understand that climate change is the greatest threat that humans have ever faced. And uh, we've got to do something about it now, in the next few years, or that there's no going back. Has it, has yeah, it become we, a political issue in Canada as it is here? Well, of course, but the problem is we have a conservative government that's as far right as any government we've ever had in our history that is in total denial on climate change. They don't accept it's going to happen. Um, but and, it's happening. And they're not doing anything about it. They're scuttling international talks. We used to be the, the uh, friendly broker internationally. Um, now we've become the big bad guy on the block when it comes to climate change. You've been listening to Green Street, and our guest has been film director Bruce Mohan, whose new documentary, Program to be Fat, is probably one you should see. That's going to do it for this edition of Green Street. Thanks for listening. Green Street Radio is a production of Grassroots Environmental Education. Learn more about us and our programs at www.grassrootsinfo.org or follow us on Facebook at Grassroots Info and on Twitter at Grassroots E-N-V-E-D.